All right, good morning. Well, when I was prepping this week, I was, um, you know, studying this, the scripture and I was sensing that what God wanted me to say out of this passage actually was like rep- repetitive a little bit for what I've been preaching on in the last few times that I've preached. And so I chatted with Pastor Charlie about it this week and I was like, I feel like I'm repeating myself and like, am I just fixated on this theme? Is this just me or like, and what Pastor Charlie said to me is he reminded me of a communication principle that I often say to the staff And that is that when you get sick of saying something, the people who are listening to you are usually only starting to hear it and get it. And that tells me two things. One, that Charlie has finally started to get what I've been saying, so I'm winning (laughs) in that regard. But also that God might have something for us, even in something that might seem familiar. And so that's my prayer for us today that maybe I definitely need the reminder and, and, and because I need to know and remember what we're talking about today and that's about God's promises and his presence with us. But maybe this is for you too. And so let me just pray for us and then we'll get into it. God, I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes to the, the message of your truth today. I pray that what seems familiar that we would still mine that truth for new things to see about you and new things that you're telling us today. Don't let us be prideful in thinking that we already know this, but let us be humble and open to your spirit. And may we come away with our hearts changed and seeing you in a new way. I pray this in Jesus' name. All right, well, we're going to be in Genesis 26 today. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can open up to there. And uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And so this might sound familiar because this whole chapter is about Isaac reliving things that Abraham has already gone through in his life. Um, it's not, we're not going to have time today to go into analyzing what Abraham did as well as Isaac. We're just going to focus on Isaac today, but we have preached on that before. So you can go back and check out Abraham's stories, um, in our previous sermons, but here's a quick summary of what both Abraham and Isaac experienced. They both experienced famine. They both get into conflict with a powerful King that involves their wives. They both make a peace treaty with the Philistines. They both end up in Beersheba and they both dig wells and live there. And Isaac's life is similar to Abraham's because this is a message to us that God is continuing his promises that he made to Abraham in Isaac. He hasn't accomplished everything that he promised to Abraham, and so now Isaac is going to start getting uh, those promises and living in that life. And so Isaac is the new Abraham, and the hope is that he's gonna prevail where Abraham failed. But you probably know the story. Um, he doesn't. And that's why we've entitled this part of our Genesis series, God's Beloved Dysfunctional Family. Because Isaac's going to mimic his father's failures. And then, um, that's, that's namely deception. And then we're going to see in the coming weeks, Isaac's son Jacob is going to carry that on. And then even farther down the line, Jacob's son Judah and, of course, his other sons as well participate in the family legacy of deception. And so God's family is beloved, but they're dysfunctional. 
So we're going to see how God responds to these failures as well today. So there's a famine in the land, and God says to Isaac in verse 2, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Now, when God says, live in the land where I tell you to live, this should immediately remind Isaac and us of God's call to Abraham out of Ur. Because God asked Abraham to go into the land that he would show him in Genesis 12. And God doesn't stop there. He knows what's going to happen with Isaac, and he knows what's going to happen with Jacob, and then with Judah, and on and on. He knows that the family he's chosen to bless and to uh, call his chosen nation out of is going to be weak and going to be dysfunctional, and they're going to stumble. But here's what he starts to say to Isaac in verse 3. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. And so just like when God called Abraham and he proclaimed his blessings to, um, and promises to Abraham, he does this for Isaac too. He recalls his promises to Abraham and then he re reiterates them to Isaac. He's like, I told Abraham I was going to do this. And now Abraham's passed away, but my promises still remain. And now, Isaac, you get access to those same promises. So actually, God promised Isaac more than he promised Abraham. In Genesis 12, 7, God said to Abraham, to your offspring, I will give this land. But here, God promises Isaac all these lands. So it's not just the land of Canaan, but the surrounding areas as well. And that's significant later in the story. And so God has asked Isaac not to leave the land that God promised Abraham. But here's why that's hard about obeying that command for Isaac. If Isaac stays in the land, if he lives in Gerar, then he is not escaping the famine. He's actually staying in it. And that's what God's asking him to do. Don't, don't escape this famine. Stay in this land. If he goes to Egypt, he's out of the famine. But if he stays, he's choosing to obey God. But it means that he's living in a famine-ridden land. And he's living as an alien without legal st standing. And he's living at the mercy and total <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, totally dependent on the goodwill of a pagan nation. And so obedience is gonna require a lot of Isaac. He's gonna to have to trust in God and do things that don't make sense in earthly wisdom. Isaac's gonna to have to determine in his heart that he trusts the Lord for his protection and for his needs. And there's no other reason to remain in the land for Isaac except to demonstrate that he adamantly believes that God will sustain him and his family and that God will keep his promises. Because if he obeys God and stays in the land, then God has promised to be specially with him. And so Isaac has to choose. God's inviting him to be like his father Abraham when he was at his very best. Obedient to God's commands and to his decrees and his instructions and obeying God was the ideal that God wanted for Abraham and now he wants it for Isaac. And he wants it later on for Israel, and he wants it today for us. And so here's something we need to remember about God's promises. They prepare us for hard things that are coming. That's what God's doing here when he tells these promises, reminds Isaac of these promises before he says, do this hard thing and stay in the famine. 
Obeying God and trusting in him and believing that God would be faithful in keeping his promises is what Isaac has to do um, in order to claim those promises. And it's, it's, he's gonna get, go through an ordeal. And you know, immediately, I see myself in Isaac in this story. And maybe you do as well. Like maybe you're in a situation where God is um, asking you to obey and to, to do something that you, you, you find very difficult to do or that you don't want to do it all, that God, that's not what I'm interested in. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you need to walk away from or bring into the light. And that's always easier said than done, isn't it? Maybe you're sensing that he wants you to make a big change in your life, maybe move somewhere, switch jobs, do something big. And that's scary, and you don't know if you want to do it. And you're also doubting if God will provide Maybe you're just struggling to trust him with the outcome of something in your life, like the thing that you've been hoping for for so long has not happened, and your life doesn't look like how you thought it was going to, and you're beginning to wonder if God actually does know what's best for you. Or maybe what God's asking of you just doesn't make sense. Like, what? That came out of left field. I've had a few of those in my life. But God made promises to Isaac as he asked him to do something hard to prepare him for what was coming. And we have access to promises from God as well um, that will keep us and sustain us and prepare us to act obediently in good times and in hard times. And so where do we even find these promises? Anyone? The Bible? Yes. Um, And there are over 3,000 of them. And so I picked out a few that I have found comforting and that I hope you find comforting. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Philippians 4, 19. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And Psalm 145, 13. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. And the more we know God's promises, the more we can be prepared to take the step of obedience, no matter what that means for us, no matter how scary it is, no matter how much it doesn't make sense, we can still do that. And so let's look at, what, at verse 6 and what um, happens next in Isaac's story. It's a very simple verse. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So he, he obeyed God. He stayed where God asked him to. So far, so good. But then we get to verse 7. When the men, of that, the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Oh, Isaac, that didn't take very long, did it? Did he not learn from Abraham's mistakes? Like, did Abraham not tell him, like, this is what happened to me in Egypt and this is what I learned from that? I don't know the answer to that, but it didn't take Isaac very long to start acting out of fear and not out of trust in God. Staying in Gerar was a step of faith, but then as he settles there, his faith begins to falter. And rather than reflect on God's promises and his presence with him and his blessings and that the nations would be blessed through his offspring, he begins to look at his situation through an earthly wisdom lens. And he 
He's, he sees that he's at the mercy of the, the Philistines, that his wife is beautiful and they might want her. And if they know that she's his wife, they might kill him in order to get her. And so he lies and he says she's his sister. It's the exact same thing that his, his father Abraham did. And so at this point, he's not emulating Abraham at his best. He's not obeying where Abraham failed. He's actually mimicking his mistakes. And because in order for God's promises to come true in, in, in his life, God needed to protect him and God needed to work. And if Isaac really believed God's promises, then he would have trusted that God was going to protect him and provide for him and his family. And rather than trusting that God would do that, Isaac acts on his own wisdom. And I think that's because Isaac thought that he believed that God would keep his promises, but that belief hadn't actually taken deep root in his heart. And I have that problem too sometimes. And maybe you can identify with me. I want to be able to stand up here and say that the truth that God is with me dominates my thoughts and impacts how I live every day. And to be able to say alongside the psalmist in Psalm 118 that the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, and what can mere mortals do to me? But the truth is I forget and I doubt. There are some days when I succeed. There are more days when I doubt. And I need help remembering this. Because God has promised to be with us. Again, Matthew 28, 20, Jesus tells us, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And I read this at the end of last week's sermon uh, service, Hebrews 13, 5. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Do we walk in that confidence? Do we let that truth flood our minds and hearts so that we can live with confidence no matter what is happening in the world around us? Do we face uncertainty with a confident resolve that no matter what life looks like for us, we will believe God is with us and that he is working to fulfill his promises? What are the things you turn to when you're afraid or struggling to believe that God's with you? You know, in Canada, we have a lot of control over our lives. There's not a lot of things we need to fear. But there are things that we can't control, and there are things that we do fear, like people's opinions of us, and judgment, and rejection, and failure, and loneliness. And I could go on, and you can fill in the blanks of the things that you find terrifying in your life. And we can read Isaac's story, and we can be like, well, that was silly. He, like, God literally just proclaimed promises to him, and he just, like, turned around and, and started doubting immediately. But I think that this story should take, cause us to take a moment and reflect. Because God has also promised to be with us. And does that actually make a difference in the fears that we struggle with and how we live our lives? Or are we trying to assuage our fears on our own and get control of our lives, like striving, like working so hard for the money or the house or for the approval of God or the approval of other people, so much that we're, we're doing that at the expense of our families or our health or our sanity? Are we doom scrolling on our devices or escaping through video games or watching TV and playing constant background noise to distract ourselves from the fear of the loneliness that we feel? Are we playing constant background noise? Oh, sorry, I just said that. Believing that if like, we can just land that relationship or that number of followers on social media or um, the perfectly designed living space or the family or the thing, again, fill in the blank that you want that will bring you comfort, that you think will bring you comfort when what we really need to do is to remind ourselves 
that God has promised us things like Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Or Psalm 23.4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or really, you could read all of Psalm 23 and claim that as a promise. Isaiah 43.2, when you pass through waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. These are all promises that we can cling to from his word. And Kent Hughes says, recognizing God's presence crushes the temptation to compromise, puts our fears to flight, instills confidence and steel, protects us and our loved ones, and upholds the name of God in our lives. And so are God's promises really enough for us? Is his presence really enough for us? What Isaac needed to do in this story And what we need to do as we learn from his life is to remind ourselves of God's promises because sometimes it doesn't look like God is really present. It looks like the opposite. And we see that in the next part of Isaac's story. I'm just gonna summarize this part, but as the story progresses, Isaac lives among the Philistines for a long time, claiming that Rebekah is his sister, not his wife. And then Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looks out his window and he sees Isaac doing things with Rebecca that brothers should not be doing with sisters. Some versions say caressing, others say laughing with her, which is a play on the meaning of his names and it's a euphemism for sexual activity. So Abimelech confronts him about his lie and Isaac confesses that he had been afraid and that's why he had lied. And friends, it's bad when an unbeliever has to call you out on your sin, isn't it? And we're called to live lives that bear witness to God, but that's really hard to do if we're not trusting him and his presence with us. So Abimelech's reaction is is proof that God was with Isaac and that he was working in Isaac's life and that Isaac's fears were unfounded. Abimelech doesn't do what Isaac thought he was going to do. He doesn't kill him and claim Rebekah. In fact, he does the opposite. He declares that anyone who tried to claim Rebekah and kill Isaac would actually be the ones put to death. And in that, we can see that God really is with Isaac. Now, in my faith journey, I struggle with believing that God's grace like, is lavished on me. Like I, I struggle to believe how big it is. And so at this point in the story, because of that, I'm inclined to think that what happens next in the story is God's frustrated with Isaac, and so he punishes him somehow, or maybe he withdraws his presence just a little bit. I'm just going to back up a little bit. Uh, or he, he like makes him wait for his promises to be fulfilled just a little bit longer than he first intended. Or at the very least, he lectures Isaac. Like, I told you I'd be with you. Why are you so weak? Why don't you believe me? But that's not what happens in the story. If we look at verse 12, it says, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So God does none of those retributive things that I thought were coming and instead he proves himself to be true to his promise no matter what Isaac had done. And he blesses Isaac abundantly. Isaac gets a crop return of a hundredfold, which is pretty impressive within a year in normal weather conditions. But remember, we're in a famine here. And so this is so clearly God working in Isaac's life. 
and Isaac's acted faith, faithlessly, but God had said that he would bless him, and here we see God keeping that promise. He starts to redig the wells that his father Abraham had dug earlier when he was in that area because he needs enough water for his herds, but then the Philistines get je- jealous of his wealth, and so they start to vandalize the wells and fill, in, like, fill them in with dirt so Isaac can't get water for his animals or his crops. And so here is yet another test of Isaac's faith. Does he still believe that God is with him and will bless him? Because he's accumulated all this wealth, but now he's in conflict with the Philistines again, and it gets so bad that Abimelech comes to him and tells him that he has to leave. And so Isaac has to move away, and as he does, it looks like God's promise is slipping away from him. And so he moves out of the area and he reopens more wells that Abraham had dug. But the people in the area claim ownership over that water as well. They're like, this is our land, these are our wells. And so Isaac concedes and he sends his servants out to dig more wells and the same thing happens again. And so Isaac has to move. He decides territorial conflict is not something I wanna deal with. And so he moves. And that's gotta get tiresome. Like I've moved a lot in my life. Um, I don't like moving. And I can just imagine having to move such a massive household and like all these, these animals and birds or whatever. I can't imagine what kind of ordeal that would be. And then I have to physically go and dig for water when I get there, like no thank you. Um, that's pretty rough. And then to think that you're settled, only have, the people, have people come after you again and have that whole thing start over again. And I can imagine Isaac's thinking things like, God, where are your promises? Where are you? You told me you were gonna bless me. Is this far enough? Is there gonna be water here? Are you really working? But finally, Isaac lands in an area and digs a well where no one disputes ownership. And so he exhales and he calls the place Rehoboth. And he says in verse 22, now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. It's been a hard slog for Isaac, but he's, he's seeing God's provision for him once again. And here's the remarkable thing. He keeps finding water in the middle of a famine. And once again, it's not humanly possible, but with God, all things are possible. And this is God blessing Isaac. And so now Isaac has room to expand and to worship God. And so let's pick up in verse 23. From there, he went to Beersheba. And that night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Isaac finally settles in Beersheba, which is a place where Abraham had encountered God many times as well. And God appears to him there, and he reminds Isaac once again of his promises and his presence with Isaac. And this time he's comforting him. And that's another thing that God's promises do in our lives, that when we are struggling, we can cling to those promises as comfort. Isaac has been through it. He has been through a whirlwind of struggle and then seeing God's promises start to take shape in his life only for them to slip away again and then he has to start all over again and there's more problems and there's more opposition. And God's like, remember who I am. Don't be afraid because I am with you. And then he repeats the promise once again to Isaac. 
Isaac has seen glimpses of these promises coming true in his life, and he's seeing how God was present with him through it all, and that God is reliable, and that Isaac can actually lean on him, that God can actually take that. And so following God and trusting in his presence and promises is life-altering for Isaac. And his response to this repetition of God's promises is first to worship That's where we see he builds an altar and he offers a sacrifice and he calls on the name of the Lord. And second, he rests. He pitches his tent. He sets up his residence. He lives in the knowledge of God's presence. And third, he lives out his belief in God. His servants go out in search of water once again and they find it. And really there's no way for Isaac to know if the Philistines aren't gonna like pop out from behind a bush and be like, this is our water, thanks. Um, But he is choosing not to let fear control him anymore and he is choosing to believe in God's promises and provision. And then he lived happily ever after. Just kidding, he didn't. Well, he, he did eventually, but um, the story goes on. Just as it seems Isaac had resolved uh, to live a life that's trusting God and that God was keeping his promises, he looks up out of his tent, and who should he see coming down the, the road but the Philistines once again? And I can just imagine what is going through his head. Like, not this again! I thought we were done with this. I thought I was far enough away, and I bet he's on guard. And I bet he's starting to be like, oh, I was hasty to trust God. Oh, I I spoke too soon. The Philistines are here for another showdown over who owns these wells. And maybe he's starting to question God. Like, what? Like, are you really with me? Can I really trust you? Can you really provide? Or maybe he's mentally like, okay, we got to do this and this and this. in order to move again, you know, he's starting to make the mental list of what it's going to take to move all of his people and his animals and then try to find more water and provide for his household and his livestock in the middle of a famine. And so he rises up to meet Abimelech and he's like, bro, what are you doing here? You sent me away and I went and I went farther and then I went farther again. What more do you want from me? That's my paraphrase. Um, But this time Abimelech has something different to say and we see that in verse 28. It says, we clearly, Abimelech's talking, he says, we clearly see that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. And early the next morning, the the men swore an oath to each other, and then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told them about the well they had dug, and they said, we found water. And he called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. It's a cool resolution to this part of the story, because Abimelech was the one who called Isaac out on his lack of trust in God and on his disobedience and his unbelief, but now he's pointing out that God has obviously been with Isaac. He's obviously been present with him, and, that the, and they're realizing that the Philistines are no match for this God, who's finding water constantly in the middle of a famine, and who's providing miraculously for this man that follows him. And so they want peace. They don't want to mess with Isaac or this powerful God. And so Isaac's story starts out in drought and famine, And it ends with abundance of water, but in the midst of a drought and famine. And the point of Isaac's story was to learn that God was present with him. 
that God was with him in the beginning and the middle and the end of the story. Because in verse 3, God says, sojourn in this land and I will be with you. Verse 24, he says, fear not for I am with you. Verse 28, Abimelech says, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. And that's not only the lesson for Isaac, that's the lesson for us today as well. God promises to be with us. He might not remove the thing that we're struggling with. He might not remove the hard things in our life, just like he didn't stop the famine for Isaac. But he shows himself faithful to keep his promises and to be with us in the middle of it. He's with us in the storms. He's with us when it feels like everyone else is against us. And how can we know for sure? How do we know that God will keep his word? The answer is Jesus. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Because Jesus was able to come to earth, obey God's commands where we couldn't, live a sinless life. Through his death and resurrection, he transferred that perfect record to us. And God didn't hold Isaac's sin and failures against him, and he doesn't hold ours against us because of Jesus. Because the cross is an event that transcends time, and it extends grace to everyone who will believe. And God blesses us. Maybe not with material wealth like like Isaac. Maybe none of us came to church this morning after dealing with our millions of livestock. But John tells us that Jesus came so that we would have an abundant life. And some of the blessings that we get from God in Christ are salvation through Christ, the spirit of God living within us, forgiveness for sin, joy and sorrow, peace and uncertainty, assurance of eternal life, provision for our needs, community with other believers, guidance and direction, spiritual gifts and talents that we're able to use to partner with him in his kingdom, comfort, strength, intimacy with him, adoption into his family as sons and daughters, sharing in Jesus' inheritance. And those are just a few of the blessings that we are promised in the Bible. And we need to cling to these promises, reading the Bible, searching for those promises for ourselves, preaching them to ourselves every day. Because I mentioned that verse that Jesus came to give us abundant life, but the other part of that verse is that we have an enemy who is here to to seek us out, to kill and destroy us. And so when those, when those attacks come, we need to remember those promises and preach them to ourselves and preach them to each other to hold each other up when we are having trouble believing for ourselves. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to remind us of those promises as well. And as we do this, we gain the courage to walk forward in obedience in the hard things and to trust God in, in the midst of trials and in the midst of troubles. You see, one of the things that, that stood out to me about this story was that God made this huge promise to Abraham and then Abraham died. And so you would think like God's like, well, I'm let, let off the hook now. I don't have to do it. But that's not true. Death does not let God off the hook for his promises. He's not limited by death. He wasn't limited by Abraham's death. 
and he wasn't limited by Jesus' death. He just brought him back from the dead. He's like, I'm going to conquer this thing, and I'm going to keep my promises. And so we're limited by death, but he's not, and he keeps right on remembering his promises to us and acting faithfully towards us, even when we're not faithful, and even when it doesn't look like it thought, we thought it would in our lives. And so like Isaac, we can worship God. We can make our homes in his promises. We can find rest. And we can live out our belief in these promises every day because God's promises will not let go of us. And so let's cling to them and live.